Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Picture yourself in this moment for just a second. A baby's born, you look into those amazing eyes, and you see a world of wonder and of hope. You love that baby completely, based solely on the relationship you have, you love. It's, based on, it's not based on behavior, ability, or even potential. You love, you love because of the relationship you have with that child. This morning we're going to talk about Jesus. And as we talk about Jesus, there's, there's something kind of interesting that can happen. We hear Jesus every single week. We study his word. He's all throughout scripture because all of scripture points to him. But we're going to go over some truths that, that you've heard before, most likely. And it would be very easy to immediately just say, okay, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Let me throw this out there. I don't think we do. I don't think that we have a true grasp of who the Christ on the cross, the Christ, the creator is. When I see Jesus, what pops into your head? A baby? Christmas? Him on the cross? Nothing you guys just said was wrong, but everything we just talked about is what Jesus did for us. It's all pointing towards him walking on the earth, leading a sinless life, dying on the cross for our sins. That's all what he's done for us. I think one of the problems that we have is we don't always think of Jesus, the author of everything, the creator of the world, right? He was that too. He wasn't just, and I don't say that lightly because it was incredibly impactful. He wasn't just our savior or redeemer. He's also our creator. He literally knit the universe together. When it says in the beginning, that's why we read the scriptures that we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is there from the beginning. He's not only the baby, or the sinless Savior, or the death and resurrection, and the return and revelation. He's all of those things, but He's not just those things. He's also our Creator. The principle this morning is the preeminence of Christ is based on who he is, not what he's done. The, the definition for preeminence is surpassing all others, superiority. It literally means the best of the best, there is nothing like it. Preeminence. So the thing that makes Jesus preeminent is based on who he is, not what he's done. We are very thankful that he paid for our sin. I'm very thankful of that. Literally, it brought me from death to life, and I get to walk with him now. I, that, that's huge. That's incredible. But it's not all. That's not the whole picture of the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the whole picture of the God of the universe. And that's part of the problem that Paul was dealing with, with the church in Colossae. What you had that was going on, you'll see some background here. 
written by Paul around 60 to 62 AD, okay? So Paul is in Roman custody awaiting to see Nero. That's what's happening at the time. Now, we know uh, from chapter 2 that Paul probably never met this body of believers, not face to face. Okay? So this, these, these aren't people that Paul has broke bread with. These are people he knows of, and as we read through the chapter, you'll see his heart for them. But these, these, aren't, uh, these are more acquaintances, people he's heard about, not necessarily someone he's had a direct conversation with. Now, we know from Acts 15 and 16 that Paul and Barnabas went through the Figria region. This is like Asia Minor. And then he went back and visited again in Acts 18, and Colossae is in that region. So we know he went through there, but not directly to there. We also know that Epaphras, the the one who we'll read about in today's scripture, is believed to have heard the gospel in Ephesus and then took it back to his country, his homeland of Colossae. We give you this background, not just for information, but to to really paint a picture of what's going on. This is a guy who's been brought from death to life in Paul, who's in prison to go before Nero, where he will die, and is writing to a church he's never been to, to people he's never met, to encourage them about the God who is. That's what's happening here. We're going to ask three questions this morning. The first question is, what does Jesus want? We're going to find out in verses 1 through 12. Let's read it together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is faithful, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So what does Jesus want? We alluded in the beginning that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he's the creator of all. But what does he want for us? When I say, what's God's will for your life, how many people go, ooh, 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 I know. That's a loaded question, right? Is that, that, that's a question that I think we struggle with a lot. What's God's will for my life? What does God want in my life? What is God calling me to do? This is going to sound a little crazy, but it's actually pretty simple. Jesus wants us to be dominated by our knowledge of what he wants. But where am I getting that from? Verse 9 reads, 
And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Remember, Paul is writing this to the church at Colossae. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The translation of the word there, filled, is literally domination or to be dominated by. Is that throwing anybody for a loop? Being dominated by something? What's he talking about? How do you figure out what God's will is? Is he speaking to you like he did Moses? Possibly, but probably not. Never quite had that experience myself. But how do I know what his will is for my life? What's he doing? What are we talking about? Go back to the verses. Asking that you may be dominated with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. God wants us to do things that would please him in all situations. That's God's will for your life. Stop trying to figure out what the next big step in your life is. Because the next big step starts with a couple of little steps. And God wants you to honor and bring glory to him in those. That's God's will for your life. This morning when you woke up, what decisions did you make that were all about pleasing yourself and your own desires? What decisions did you make that were about God and his will? Are you dominated by bringing honor and glory to him? Where are we at with that? Stop making God's will a big mystical thing. Because it's not. Do we honestly think the God of the universe would want us to be dominated by something we couldn't even figure out? It doesn't even make sense, right? Be dominated by something you won't even understand. No. Be dominated, follow, be consumed by, be all-consuming, all locked into, okay, what is God wanting me to do here in this situation? I think the reason that we make it this big mystical thing is because then it's a lot easier not to follow. Because then we can't figure it out. Because then we can say, I don't know what God wants. I haven't seen it in the stars. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't send me some letter that was you know, by somebody I've never met before and said, here's what you should do. It's not this big uh, riddle that we've got to figure out. It's bringing honor and glory to him in obedience to his word, which he has been clear about on day-to-day basis, following him daily. That's what he's called us to kid named John was looking for some extra cash for the summer, so he started working for his dad's lawn business. His dad started to train him on each piece of equipment. John didn't want to run the hedge trimmer, so when his dad explained it, he kind of zoned out and started thinking about his Friday night date. They showed up at the first house, and his dad handed him the hedge trimmer, and he said, all right, John, get to work. John did the best he could, but uh, that poor hedge had to get put down. He kind of destroyed the hedge. John did his best. John did what most Christians do. He ignored the instructions that are given, winged it, and then wondered why it didn't work. Wondered why it turned into a big mess. Why do we do this? Why do we ignore what his word says and literally his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding? We ignore it, and then we wonder why things don't go well. We sit back and we look at this hedge, which is all destroyed, 
And now we got to go to our father and say, I'm sorry, look what I did. How are we doing with winging it? Are you listening to proper instructions that are hearing his word? Are you following them? And here's how you know you're following them. Are we bearing fruit? Because that was in there too. Are you bearing fruit? Christ wants us to be dominated by his will. Stop acting like we can't figure out what it is. God's will for your life is for you to follow him where you are. That's what he wants. That's what Jesus wants. The next thing that you'll notice is that Jesus offers the strength needed for this task. We're not simply to just deal with it. You see this over and over and over again in Scripture. Jesus offered us the strength required through the Holy Spirit. We are qualified, it says in verse 12. Did you see that? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. You are qualified to follow God, not because of anything you did, but because he said, hey, I qualified you. What does qualified mean? Tell me out here. Accept. What's that? Accept. Accept. Okay. Anything else? You met a requirement. Okay, so there is a requirement. Right? There's something that needs to be done. And guess what? The God of the universe says that you're capable. How cool is that? You're going to be part of redeeming the world through what he's done. And you're capable of doing it because he says you are. You're qualified. This is Paul writing to this church. This is how he's opening this letter. This church is questioning the identity of Christ. There, there's some sort of teaching that's going on that, that Paul is addressing that we'll get a little bit, little bit more in depth later on. But, but he's dealing with some sort of uh, poor teaching about who Jesus is. So he is, his goal is about identifying who Christ is and putting Christ at the forefront of everything. And he says, you are to be dominated by his will and you're qualified to do it because he is preeminent. Remember the big idea. He is superior to everything. He's above all. He's Jesus. You guys ever, you guys ever had one of those self-propelled motors? Yeah? Okay, one? Okay. I had one of those self-propelled motors. My dad bought one for a summer and I destroyed it because I'm John from the earlier illustration. Um, so, you get those self-propelled motors, right? Well, what do you do? How, how do they work? Yeah, you take your fit, you know, right, obviously you got a cranker, right? But then you hold it up, and then what happens? Right, you're doing your thing? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Now, are you having to push that more? No, it's self-propelled. What happens if your fingers come off? It's not self-propelled anymore. It, it stops. Following God means actually following God doesn't mean get out there and push a self-propelled mower as hard as you can in the biggest yard possible, which is the earth, and then wonder why it doesn't get mowed. Following God is saying, okay, God, I don't know where you're taking me, but I trust you, and I will follow you in these choices that I'm taking right now. The next step in my life, I will follow you in this choice. I will follow you right here. And then I will follow you again, and I will follow you again, and I will follow you again. Because you are superior. You are above all. You're the God of the universe. How strengthened are you feeling? Are you feeling like you're pushing that mower, or you're walking with it? 
I think a lot of times, if we're seriously honest with ourselves, we like dig into some grass and like really try to mow a bunch of lawns by ourselves. And then we look at the lawn, and then we gotta go to our father, and we gotta say, I don't know why this isn't working out the way that I thought it would. Following God is what he's called us to. We're qualified to do it. That's amazing. The next question that we're going to ask is in verses 13 through 23. The question is, why do you care what he wants? We know what Jesus has called us to. We just went over that. Why do you care what Jesus wants? Verse 13 reads this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things are held together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead and in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now that is a description of Jesus. Are you kidding me? We should care because he created all things for his glory and his honor. Very simply. That's why we should care. We also should care because he redeemed us from our sin and death. Those are two distinct things. He created everything. He paid for everything. All of the sin and death were all paid in what his sacrifice was. The problem I think we have is we focus so much on what God has done because that's, what's, that's, that's about us. When we miss the fact that God creating the universe was also about us, but all towards Him. He's the point of it all. He created it all. It's all His. Now, notice how Paul starts, though, because Paul's a smart guy. Paul doesn't begin with God created all things, that's why you should love him. Paul begins with, he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because, let me ask you a question, just to be honest. What do you care more about? That Jesus brought you from death to life or that he created you? Probably death to life, right? We kind of just assume we're created. We're here, right? But he paid for my debt. I can, I, that's, a, that's a truth I can latch on to. That's, the gospel, that's part of the gospel message, right? That he paid for our sins. So Paul begins with that because they've already been transformed by the gospel. 
These people, there's been fruit that's been bared throughout this body. They understand who Jesus is. He's addressing some perverted teaching that's coming through. So he begins with that, but then it expounds and goes in so many different amazing, amazing places. He says he is the image of the invisible God. They could literally see God when Jesus was with them. Christ is the embodiment of a God we couldn't see. Just bask in that for just a second. He is the image of the God who created us that we can't see with our eyes. That's what he says. He says he created everything for himself and that we exist for him. That is so counter to everything I want my life to be about. The God of the universe created you, created me for himself. All things were created through him and for him. Don't, don't chop the end of the sentence off. Created for him. We were created for God. And then he goes on to say that everything is held together. It's all bound together by God. Okay, so let's, let's get a little crazy here for a second. You have the earth being held by gravity in an orbit with the sun, whereas if one asteroid would have hit us differently however long ago, we would not have the weather that we need to sustain life. You can look at all these different planets all across the universe and see how because of the, their existence within the body, the heavenly bodies that they're around, right? They're not close enough or far enough from a life-giving sun. It doesn't exist. Jesus binds all that together. The protons, the electrons, all of it is bound together by Jesus. He not only created it, he not only paid for it, but he bound it together and is literally the one saying, this is why the universe works because I said so. Get a picture of the God we serve. It's not just about what he did for us. It's about what he's created. That's the power of God. It's amazing. And Paul's trying to articulate this. It's incredible. And then he goes right back to a little bit more of a personal application. He's the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church, which we are. We are all a part. We are all part of a body together. We fit together because he says we do. He's called us to work with one another, and he is the head above all. Can you get a picture of all of the hats Jesus wears? It's, it's amazing. He's not only superior of everything, but he's the redeemer of everything. His kingdom reigns. If you, if you go ahead and continue to read through those verses, it says that he literally died to pay for us, to make us blameless, so that he could present us back to himself. Right? How, literally, Jesus created, walked with us, paid for our sins, made us blameless as the bride to come to be presented back to himself. He is all of it. This Christ is, is, is just incomparable. 
There's nothing that we can point to that can illustrate who Jesus is. Nothing can point to the superiority of Christ. I can bring up anything and it's not going to stack up. A little side note. When you're working on a sermon, one of the things that we try to do is we try to have an illustration. We try to have a story or something that we can latch to to really hit the point home of what God is saying in these verses. There's nothing that can illustrate Jesus. Not effectively. I can talk about the greatest sports team I can ever think of. It pales in comparison. I can talk about your love for your husband or wife or your kids. It pales in comparison to who Jesus is. All those things are important. I'm not trying to belittle them. What I'm saying is Jesus is above all, greater than all, is everything. No illustration stacks up. Nothing is going to help it hit home for us more than just panning back and just saying, look at what he is, not just what he's done. Do you believe any of that? We gotta check ourselves. Lord, help our unbelief. Because there's so many times in my life where I check and just like, man, where am I at with this? Where are we at with this? If we really believe that God is in our corner, or better stated, we are in His. Whoa. Whole different ballgame. Whole different thought process. Whole different everything. So now we know what Jesus wants. And, and, and now we know why we should pay attention, why we should care. Let's get to the last question. What can we expect from following Him? You see this in verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up with what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we know what Jesus wants. We know why we should care. It all points back to him being superior of all. But what can we expect from following him? Paul begins with worthwhile suffering in verse 24. Did you see that? He literally begins with, now I rejoice in my sufferings. What you can expect from following Jesus is worthwhile suffering. Amen! Right? So thankful. Go, Jesus. Yay, worthwhile suffering. Paul is, is getting to the point where he's showing them that he's getting to be a part of Jesus' redemptive work. What we can expect is to be a part of his redeeming the world. Paul is getting to model what he said Jesus was doing just a few verses before. Did you see it? 
earlier, just a few verses before this, he talked about how Jesus was making us blameless so that he could present us to himself. Paul closes with, now we get to be a part of the work of helping people be perfected in Christ. We get to model what Jesus has done with other believers now and help each other be perfected in Christ. Now, we're not saving you from your sins. That's not how that works. What he's saying is we bond together, we admonish one another, we encourage one another, we lift up one another, we have those hard conversations to help present people perfect in Christ. That's what he's saying. It's incredible. And you know what? That's worthwhile suffering. It's going to be suffering because people are involved. It's going to be worthwhile because God's called us to it. Carol was a single mom working two jobs to support her two kids. She worked incredibly hard to make ends meet and supply a roof over their heads. They were pretty good kids and didn't give her much trouble. One of the most rewarding days of her life was watching them get their diplomas and begin the next steps in their education. She had worked so very hard, and now she could see the benefits of all of her hard work. Many of us know a Carol. Maybe we even know a spiritual Carol. Someone who is walking with someone else, who is discipling someone, and as they're discipling that person, it, it can get hard. Hard conversations happen. You, have to, you spend time with people. Who are you discipling? What, what you, you, know, you know what you can expect from following Jesus. Worthwhile suffering and being a part of His redeeming the world. And all this ties back to we can do it because He is superior to all things. Right? But who are you discipling? What suffering are you going through that's worthwhile? Let's figure that out. Let's think through where we're at with it. We get to see what God is doing in the life of someone we are discipling, and it is so worth it, guys. Just recently, this week, I was having a conversation with a guy who I've poured my life into for years and seeing what God is doing in his life, and it's worthwhile suffering, guys. Like, it's so good. Your parents, you know what I'm talking about when I say you look at your kid and you see your kid start to get it. And you've poured into them and you've banged your head on the, on the wall and you've gone to bed with tears in your eyes because you just don't understand how they don't get it. And then they start to. And it's all worth it. Because you're seeing what God is doing in their life. It brings us back to the key principle. The preeminence of Christ is based on who He is, not what He's done. So let's ask those three questions. What does God want from you? He wants you to be dominated by His will. God wants you to be dominated by His will. Why do you care? Because He is who He says He is. And He paid for the sins of the world. What expectations should you have to be a part of what He's doing and to have worthwhile suffering. That's it. It's all because he is preeminent. He is superior. He is above all. Remember Paphras? Remember? We talked about him earlier. Paphras was just a dude going through his life, doing his thing, walking through in Ephesus, okay, just doing my own thing, okay, it's a Monday, whatever. He sees a guy named Paul. 
Just a dude. Nothing special about Paul. Nothing preeminent, nothing superior about Paul, except for the God who sent him, because God, Paul followed him, followed him, followed him. And because Paul followed God, went on that missionary trip to that area, preached the gospel, Epaphras, his life was changed. He was moved from death to life. He got to see the truth of who Jesus is. Then Epaphras went back to his home country. He didn't jump in the boat with Paul and say, I'm going to live with you for the rest of my life. No, Epaphras went back to work. He went back home and followed Christ where he was took his steps with Jesus, took his steps with Jesus, and we have a body of believers that know who Jesus is, and God used their obedience to accomplish that. Don't tell me you don't know what God's will is in your life. It's to follow him where you are. And we can do it because we're qualified because he said so. He is above all. Paul knew who Jesus was. Epaphras knew who Jesus was. Ephesus knew who Jesus was. Colossae now knew who Jesus was. Ocala needs to know who Jesus is. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.